researchers do surveys on just about everything. And one of the things that they like to do surveys about are which are the most stressful jobs. And sometimes they'll list things like lawyer and doctor and firefighter and police officer. They list those kinds of things. But what I don't see at the list, and I think I would put at the top of the list, is motherhood. I think I'd put moms at the top of the list for the most stressful jobs. And some of the best advice I ever heard for moms came on an aspirin bottle. If you look at, go home and you look at the aspirin bottle, it says right on the back, take two and keep away from children. That's just some pretty good advice for dealing with the stress and the headaches of being a mother. It starts out rough, doesn't it? The intense pain of labor and then inevitably the panic when there's that first fever or the chicken pox or an ear infection. And there's the sorrow of watching that child as he or she leaves home, strong, independent for that first day of school. And then there are the challenges of adolescence, the difficulties of growing into maturity. But at last, there is the incomparable pride when the cycle is completed and that first grandchild is born. When it's all placed on a scale of the good and bad, Motherhood is just far out of balance. Pain, fatigue, disappointment, frustration, rejection. And a question comes to my mind. Why do mothers bother? Why do they continue? Why don't they just throw in the towel, throw up their hands, and give it all up? Who else but a mother would endure such abuse, such heartache for a flower and a card once a year. Much of that answer lies in a mother's love. There is incredible power in a mother's love. But a part of the answer also lies in a mother's ability to find the good in the bad The Apostle Paul was a man who developed the skill to be able to cope with a bad situation by finding the good in the bad. Now, the Apostle Paul was never a mother, but he did genuinely love people. And it is a fundamental truth that when you love someone, you will take the risk of being hurt. Three weeks ago, we began a sermon series from the book of Colossians If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you, do want to encourage you to bring your Bible every Sunday so that you're reading from the Word of God yourself. I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Colossians, find chapter 1, and then go down to verse 24. That's where we're going to begin reading in a few moments. The focus of our examination of this letter is to help us to live unselfishly in a selfish society. The selfish person seeks what is good and what is pleasant for him or herself with very little regard for anyone else. If we're going to move beyond selfishness, if we're going to be able to see more than me, we will need to understand that even when bad things happen to me, that is sometimes good. 
Let's explore that idea together. Let's begin at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in his fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all His energy which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Now I want to take your attention back to the very first statement in that passage that I just read for you. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. This is the central central thought that I want to share with you this morning. And this really is a completely unexpected statement. If we look at the context in which this is written, the Apostle Paul is very clearly talking about his own suffering. It's not very often that we will hear somebody say, I am so very glad for the misery that I am in so that you can have a good time. And that is just exactly what Paul is saying to us. And when Paul speaks about his own suffering, he is not exaggerating. In fact, most of us would probably label this an understatement. You might want to jot down somewhere 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 27. I come back to this from time to time when I think about the difficulties I am going through. And when I look at what the Apostle Paul went through, I find courage in that. Because I realize that the same God that worked in him is working in me. And if God could pull him through what Paul went through, he will provide what I need. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, I spent a night and a day in the open sea, 
I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Why? Why would anyone put themselves through that kind of suffering? And when I say put themselves through that, at any point the Apostle Paul could have said, Enough. That's enough. I have suffered enough for the cause of Christ. I'm just going to go back home. I'm going to go back to my former job. I'm going to stay warm and well fed. And everybody else is just on their own. But he chose suffering. He chose pain. He chose the lifestyle that we just read about. Now, why would somebody do that? Well, at least a part of the answer is found back in the first verse of our text in Colossians chapter 1 at verse 24. Where he says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul is telling us there that he endured the pain, the suffering, the privation because he was helping someone else. Now, I think we need to pause for just a moment and we need to talk about what Paul said when he said that he was filling up what is lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. Paul was not saying that he was completing Christ's work of salvation. That was completed in his death on the cross. The death of Jesus Christ is absolutely sufficient. It's enough. No one can do any more, not even the Apostle Paul can do any more to save us. We don't earn God's favor. We cannot work our way to, to heaven. We cannot suffer enough to be acceptable to God. Now, I don't claim to have a final answer on this, but I believe that at least a part of what the Apostle Paul was saying, that his suffering was filling the gap between the cross and the people that he was preaching to. On the cross, Jesus provided for the removal of our sin and our guilt, for us and for all of humanity. But the task of taking the message of that sacrifice of God's love and God's forgiveness was left for the followers of Jesus to complete. It was telling people about Jesus. It was talking about his death and more particularly, talking about his resurrection. Talking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ was what got Paul into all of these terrible situations. Paul continued to talk about Jesus in spite of the threats and the beatings and the imprisonment because he loved people. And his love and his genuine concern for someone other than himself was what gave him the strength to endure this suffering. And I want to take just a moment and talk about the fact that if we're really going to follow Jesus Christ, 
And if we're really going to communicate his love to other people, we can probably expect some difficulty and some suffering. In fact, as long as we are on this earth, we can expect difficulty, pain, disappointment, disillusionment, the whole package. Now, I want to interrupt myself for just a moment, and I want, to, I, I want to preface what I'm about to say by saying I have no criticism about Jeff's selection of a song this morning. I have no criticism of, of what the writer put in the song, but there was a song that we sang this morning in which we asked God to wipe the tears from our faces. And I want to say that God does comfort. God does heal. He gives hope to the hopeless, courage to the discouraged. He gives strength to the weak. But what I very often hear Christians expecting from the Christian life is that if they will just go to church on Sunday and pray and read their Bibles, that everything will be fine. But that's just not the case. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4 says, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Notice the verb tense. We are not promised God wipes away every tear. That's not the promise. There will be tears, there will be difficulty. There will be grief and sorrow and hurt and pain. And God won't miraculously take it all away. Now, when we are with Him in heaven, notice the verb tense. God will wipe away every tear. Yes. And that is what we look forward to. God will do that. But right now, like the Apostle Paul we're probably going to go through some difficulties. And one of the ways to get through those difficulties is to focus on helping someone else. Deliberately focusing on helping to meet the needs of people around her was one way that Corey Ten Boom was able to survive the terrors of a Nazi concentration camp. In the early days of World War II, Corrie Ten Boom and her family lived in a quiet city in Holland. This was a family that lived out their faith by taking care of their neighbors and their friends. And that did not change when Hitler invaded Holland and began rounding up and imprisoning Jews. The Ten Booms sheltered Jewish families in their home until they were arrested. Their aged father died in a dark prison without medical attention. Corey and her sister Betsy were sentenced to the the brutality and the deprivation of a concentration camp called Ravensbrück. Betsy died in that prison camp of malnutrition, heavy labor, and lack of medical attention. Shortly after her death, through a clerical error and the grace of God, Corey was miraculously released. But it was Betsy's indomitable spirit, 
It was her spirit of grace and love that showed Corey how to survive in even the worst conditions. In her book, The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom wrote about her experiences as a Christian and their time in the concentration camps. I want to read just a little bit for you of a brief discussion between Corey and her sister Betsy upon their transfer from a prison to the concentration camp. Betsy, I wailed, how long will it take? Perhaps a long, long time. Maybe many years. But what better way could there be to spend our lives? I turned to stare at her. Whatever are you talking about? These young women, that girl back at the bunkers, Corey, if people can be taught to hate, they can be taught to love. We must find the way, you and I, no matter how long it takes. She went on, almost forgetting in her excitement to keep her voice to a whisper, while I slowly took in the fact that she was talking about our guards. I glanced at the matron seated at the desk in front of us. I saw a gray uniform and visored hat. Betsy saw a wounded human being. Later, Corey writes, As the rest of the world grew stranger, one thing became increasingly clear. And that was the reason the two of us were here. Why others should suffer, we were not shown. As for us, from morning until lights out, whenever we were not in the ranks for roll call, our Bible was the center of an ever-widening circle of help and hope. Corey and Betsy Temboom conducted Bible studies in the barracks of concentration camps. They tended to the illnesses, soothed the spirits, encouraged the hearts of the women that were very close to them in a confined space. When Betsy died, she died at peace with her God, at peace with herself, at peace with her surroundings, and even at peace with her captors. After her release, Corey traveled for decades, traveling extensively in Europe, Asia, and America. Her message was that God can overcome, God can heal, and God can restore. One of her favorite statements was, No pit is so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. How could Corey Ten Boom, how could anyone endure a Nazi concentration camp and come out of that talking about the goodness of God's love? The key for her was focusing on meeting the needs, healing the hurts, and strengthening the heart of someone else. That principle worked in the lice-infested squalor of a concentration camp. So think of what that same principle could do in your life. Imagine the happiness that could be realized through your life. But it goes against the flow. 
Our tendency in difficult situations is to focus on myself. To make sure that I have what I need first. And when we do that, we miss an awful lot of opportunities. To find the good in the bad, we must look beyond ourselves. We must find a way for our bad circumstances to help someone else. If you cannot specifically, if you, excuse me, I can't tell you specifically how to do that. I can't tell you how to find in your bad situation good for somebody else because everybody's situation is different. What is going on with you is unique to you. But there are some responses that are applicable in almost any situation to help someone else. The first that I want to list for you is to listen. Listen to what someone else has to say. And I tell you from personal experience, on both sides of this issue, we need to be reminded of this because this is a challenge. I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes when somebody comes to me and they say, I want to tell you about my problem. They get two or three sentences into it. I've got a solution, so I want to talk. The other side of that is that I have gone to a trusted friend. And I've wanted to talk about a difficulty that I'm going through. And what happened was, instead of listening, that trusted friend began to tell me about what he thought was a similar experience And started telling me his troubles without giving me the opportunity to talk. So I want to share with you. Listen. Number two. Share from your own experience. Now, when you get ready to share from your own experience, remember something that we all learned very, very long ago. God gave us two ears, one mouth. Use them in that proportion. Listen, listen, and if you feel like you really need to, you might say something. But when you do, share from your own life experience. Number three, then share your resources. You might need to share your money, your experience, your wisdom, your friendship. Probably the most valuable commodity you can share is your time. Why do I say that's probably the most valuable commodity you can share? Because it's probably the most valuable commodity you have. Why do I say that? I watch what Americans do. Americans pay for convenience. Americans pay for time saving. Why? Their time is more, money, more valuable to them than their money is. I started noticing that back in the early 90s, and it has only increased in our culture. Paul found ways to do that in the chains of a prison. Corey and Betsy Tamboom found good results coming from their own suffering. Now, you may choose to focus on your own problems. You can resign yourself to a life of misery. You can endure it day by day. You can struggle against it. You can try to change and improve your situation. You can curse and swear and hate and vent in all directions. But if you will look for the good, 
that you can do helping someone else, even when there's nothing good in it for you, you will discover a treasure chest of blessing. You will find fulfillment in the prosperity and the success of those that you help. You will also, along the way, find a real purpose and a real meaning for your life. And you will be amazed that even when things are bad, God can bring good into your life. This week, you will encounter a difficult situation. For some of you, it will be a conflict at home. For others, it will be stress on the job. For some, there will be major disappointments. Maybe even very significant losses. And they may come this week. It could be right now. It could be right now you're sitting in a stew over a problem that you can't resolve. Maybe right now where you sit, you're in physical pain. Maybe right now you're feeling in emotional distress. Well, to help you to cope with all of that, I want to offer three ideas. The first is a reminder to look for the good that can come to you from the problem. Those of you who are avid about physical fitness know that the way we build muscle is to tear down the muscle that we already have and then rebuild it. That's why the expression no pain, no gain got to be so popular. And the same thing is true in many other aspects of our life. In order to grow, in order to be stronger, we're going to have to go through some difficult times. Very often it's getting over the obstacle that makes us stronger. Secondly, and really more importantly, look for ways that you can help someone else. Let's be honest. There are, a time, there are times when the difficulties that we're going through are just plain lousy. And there's no way that any good is going to come to you from what you're going through. But very often there are opportunities for our bad situation to help someone else. Finally, Trust in God that He can use your circumstances in ways that you cannot see. There's a Bible verse that is very often quoted that gives people a lot of courage, a lot of hope. It has through generations. It's often quoted. It's more often misquoted. And it was Paul, the man who wrote the text that we're reading this morning in Colossians chapter 1 and 2, that wrote these words. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. The man who endured rejection, ridicule, and imprisonment tells us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that those of us who love Him, God is working in us. Sometimes you can't see it. 
Sometimes you can't understand it. We simply trust it. That was significant to me, so I want to say it again. God is working for our good. For the good of those who love Him. Sometimes we can't see it. Sometimes we can't understand it. We simply trust it. And mothers do that all the time. I can only imagine the number of times that my mother must have asked herself, is he worth this much trouble? Changing diapers, runny, wiping my runny nose, wiping my face with a cool cloth after I had thrown up all over the kitchen table. Trying to heal the huge patches of poison ivy that I would get every spring after she had repeatedly told me do not go to the woods. Arguing over bedtime and battling with me to clean my room and then the pain of the open rebellion of adolescence. There must have been times when my mother could not imagine anything good at all coming out of me. So I want to say, and say especially to mothers, there will be times when you cannot see the good that will come. You simply trust God that it will. We all face difficult situations. And we choose. We choose to trust ourselves and look out for ourselves or we choose to trust in God. We can choose to find the good in the bad. I want to pray for you right now. I want to pray for you because this week each one of us will encounter an opportunity to put these concepts that we found in Colossians chapters 1 and 2 to work. Each of us will face a bad situation. I want to challenge you in that difficulty to find something good. And right now I want to ask God to open our eyes to the possibility of what He's going to do through us. What He's going to do to enrich our lives and what He's going to do through us and through our difficulties to influence the lives of people around us. Now, if you're going through a particularly difficult time right now, Donna and I will be here for a little while. Your elders are here. And they're good men. And they're ready and willing to talk to you about the difficulty that you're going through. If you're ready to talk about how Jesus Christ can change your life. If you're ready to talk about what it would really mean from moving from believing in Jesus Christ. To really following Jesus Christ. Find me or find one of your elders before you leave this building today. I want to lead us in a prayer. Father in heaven, it may be yet today
that some unexpected difficulty will come our way. It may be during the work week. It may be a telephone call while we're sitting in front of the television relaxing in the evening. It may be in the middle of the night with a trip to an emergency room. But in all likelihood, something will happen this week. Something that will be difficult. Something that will be challenging. Something that will be painful. And so I ask, Father, that right now you will instill us with your courage. By your Holy Spirit, give us your boldness. And right now, give us your peace. So when the challenge, when the difficulty comes, we are prepared. Teach us now to trust in you. And give us the inner strength to face what comes. And to find in what comes what you are doing. And if we can't find it, if we can't see it, if we can't understand it, teach us to trust. Surround us with people who will encourage and strengthen us. I'm so grateful for this church. So grateful for these loving people, for this family, who do pray for each other, encourage each other, assist each other, go out of their way to help each other in times of difficulty and go out of their way to celebrate with each other when things are good. I'm grateful for that. Most of all, I'm grateful for your son, Jesus. That he never turns us away. He never rejects us. But that he loves us, reaches out to us, offering life. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, that I pray. Amen.